it's super hard to employ a thousand people in a day in the United States. Like, I don't think any company ever added a thousand employees in a day, but you can add a thousand people contributing for crypto to a crypto-based project in a day easily. Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains and the go-to place for everybody to learn about the latest innovations in Web3, NFTs, and the decentralized web. Join us each week to hear from experts, entrepreneurs, and the early stage investors that are building the future on the blockchain. Not only will this podcast help you understand why these emerging technologies are so important, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the metaverse. GMGM, welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. My name is Josh Gordon. I'm your host, and I'm joined by a great guest today, Yuri Lifshitz, CEO of SuperDAO. We've got an interesting episode lined up about decentralized autonomous organizations, what they mean, why they're important, and really the future outlook that Yuri envisions. Now, we put out a tweet a couple weeks ago on the Unstoppable Domains Twitter and asked all of our followers what they were interested in learning more about on this podcast. And actually, 42% responded saying DAOs. So Yuri, thank you for joining today. I think this conversation is really going to be educational and insightful for a lot of the listeners of the pod. How you doing? Doing great. Excited to be on the show. Sweet. Well, I'd just like to dive right on in and get to know you a little bit better. And then we can talk about DAOs and, and like the vision you have for them. Can you walk us through how you got into crypto and how that led you to founding SuperDAO? I started my career as a mathematician and a computer scientist and was teaching cryptography at graduate and undergraduate programs covering topics like zero knowledge proofs and Byzantine agreements back in 2005, 2006, before Bitcoin was invented. So I kind of was in crypto before crypto was a thing. After that, spent another 10 years in Web2, building companies there, but primarily around communities. So bringing people together, primarily through things like chats and co-working spaces and events, been a big thread in my life. Now, finally, I'm going back to crypto and open source my last company, which was a direct competitor to Discord, Messenger for Communities, and now full on on CryptoTrain and building a platform for DAOs. That's awesome. So you were really thinking about some of the foundational technological, like, elements of crypto before we were thinking about it from a currency standpoint, before we were thinking about it from a how do you start an organization standpoint. So I feel like some of those concepts are really deep rooted inside your philosophy of why. I would never imagine that to be so important. Back then, it was felt like beautiful mathematical theorems with no applications. And now we have thousands of applications, right? Yep. Can you start and give us a baseline on what a DAO really is and why it's important for some of our listeners who may not have such a deep understanding of like the DAO ecosystem we have today? There are two definitions and they are in a serious conflict against each other. So the first definition is more narrow definition and it is the original definition. It is DAO as decentralized autonomous organization. Here decentralized means that it's an organization that creates some value, but there is not a single person or a single core group of people who can be pinpointed and say, if those people stopped working, the DAO stopped creating value. The autonomous means that there are some rules encoded on the blockchain in form of software, and those rules override the human control. And so the organization can evolve and make serious decisions and operate with a kind of software-led way. And the original DAOs were set up that way primarily as a response to security law. So there were some token-based projects and they need to bypass the definition of security as an investment contract where you expect profits by the effort of others. And in this case, you say, hey, you buy the tokens, but they are more of like utility or commodity because there is no one actually specifically responsible to make the tokens be more valuable over time. And so that was a, like a legal defense structure. But eventually people start seeing that there was actually a lot of benefits to become decentralized. There was a lot of benefits to being involving code as a legal system for, for your formation. And so we come slowly to a second generation of DAOs, which are organizations that are using blockchain as a system of record for their ownership structure and some other rules. But then the second generation was stepping away from both decentralized and autonomous. And most of 
the so-called DAOs of 2022 are actually starting centralized at the start and starting with humans in control, not software in control. So they no longer really qualify for the original definition. So the new definition would be something like on-chain organization, organization that records ownership on blockchain, even if it is initially centralized or run by humans. Some people would say those second generation companies would require different definitions like half DAO, half corporation or something. But the current like usage of the language is they are still called DAOs. It sounds like as DAOs are evolving, from what I'm understanding from your like old versus new definition, is that the requirement isn't that it's 100% decentralized, 100% on-chain. And as we get more mature, we're actually finding some off-chain involvement is important. Am I capturing that right? Yeah. When the first generation of DAOs arrived to the scene and they used it as a legal defense structure, they accidentally found three more advantages. And those were capital formation, growth, and employment. And, and so in capital formation, they were, instead of selling equity into investors, they were selling token to investors. And because token uh, sales were less regulated, they were able to sell to more investors and have more, more people on the cap table and new kinds of investors, more investors outside of United States or traditional countries for raising money from and raising sometimes maybe from anonymous sources. Also, the, the path to liquidity and to eventual listing on exchanges was sooner. So there were like created new kind of capital markets and new excitement around investing in DAO-shaped projects. So essentially, right now, if you raise as a DAO, you might get high valuation. You might have, you know, sooner, like a shorter path to liquidity and exchange training status and so on. So fundraising advantage is one. The second advantage is... It turns out you can actually give tokens or NFTs to early customers, your, your people who are actually waiting for the utility you want to bring to the market, even if you are pre-product. And then those people feel that they own part of your journey, so they are more inclined to support you on Twitter and other social media and bring you other customer referrals, use your product over maybe more established alternatives and so on. So essentially using crypto-style incentives for growth and referrals and incentivized adoption, especially chicken and egg kind of things that, you know, require some sort of supply and demand or adoption of new standard by a lot of number of people. Essentially, it becomes a way to build network effect type business or community centric business, especially against the web two kind of entrenched monopolies. Number three is Crypto is a more flexible way to employ people or to compensate people for effort. So you can either do it even programmatically, like, hey, if you help us a lot on Discord and we just measure it automatically, you get some tokens or like requests for proposals or grant making programs and maybe community decides whom to pay for and put up to vote individual sub projects, creating a community led even like mini investment funds that like invest in the ecosystem around the project and giveaways and so on. And again, because it's kind of a little bit right outside of currently regulated areas, especially where is DAO resides? Like what is its national kind of geographic status? Like do you pay employer side taxes right now? It's not very clear. And because of that, it's kind of more flexible. Like it's super hard to employ a thousand people in a day in the United States. Like I don't think any company ever added a thousand employees in a day but you can add a thousand people contributing for crypto to a crypto-based project in a day easily and so employment is kind of the third angle and now the this kind of half DAOs, the, the i call them modern DAOs or flexible DAOs or neo DAOs. those kind of flexible DAOs, they're like yeah we might not be decentralized or autonomous on day one but we definitely like those three advantages we want to raise as a DAO, want to employ as a DAO. And we want to grow as a DAO, even if we're not qualifying for original definition. Mm. I really like those three areas that you outlined around benefits. And I taking some notes as you were talking, you know, the capital fundraising, the growth and ins for incentivized adoption and network effects and the employment, reducing the friction for how you can bring on like human resources to, to help you out is massive in terms of growing a company, creating a product and expanding. Essentially, you can think of that is that DAO first make it a little bit harder to prosecute 
So it kind of moves outside of the existing legal system because you can plausibly say that we exist not in your current specific country. And then once you like stepped outside of the initial existing legal system, you say, okay, now we are free. So we can rethink the fundraising. We can rethink the employment. We can rethink the customer incentives. When the government wakes up uh, like a few years later, maybe we'll have a good case to show that what we actually reinvented has more benefit than harm. And then we'll ask for reasonable regulation as opposed to like, you know, blanket uh, dissolution or something. And so like, it's a little bit of a Uber and Airbnb playbook where you break the law fast and uh, or, like, go boldly in the gray area and regulate it uh, previously under legislated areas and then prove, like show some benefits alongside with maybe some risks, then asks for like a compromise kind of regulation. Totally. I definitely have some regulation questions for later on in the pod. We'll get there. But before that, it's kind of a two-part question. Can you talk through what some of the downsides to being 100% decentralized would be? And then can you give potentially examples of how a company may incorporate, and maybe maybe we can use a company that is familiar in the Web3 and the crypto world, how a company might incorporate some of these DAO principles from a capital, a growth, or an employment perspective, but still operates from you know a centralized starting point? The first question is, what's the downside of decentralization? Well, the loss of control. So you you don't know, like if you decentralize too early, before you have product or before you establish a product market fit, it's a very unlikely or very, you know, risky to expect your community to figure everything out, especially everyone is like, you know, part-time. People have incentives to make things work better or stay working when it's working. But if it's not working, whose job it is to make it work? I would say like pre-product market fit. So again, the, the history was that the first generation of DAOs, they were having already good work, like most of them, uh, some of them have working protocol or something, and then they were added kind of DAO structure on top of that. So they were like, hey, we build the products in a centralized way. Buterin first like kind of invented Ethereum and then put a DAO on top of it, not like put a DAO to invent Ethereum. You need to to make the invention first. It is very hard to invent by community, uh, but uh, to govern already existing invention, that's fine. In terms of like how a traditional company, traditionally formed company would do a DAO, like what kind of parts of DAO playbook can they use? So on capital raise, I don't think there is half measures. You either are going towards NASDAQ or you're going towards FTX, Binance, Coinbase, and Uniswap. You either want your end game to be in traditional equity or in token equity. You either like do the full switch or not. So if you do the full switch, you just grant tokens to an existing investor-based team and whatnot, and all promises of future tokens through token warrants. And you say, hey, we made the change. We're going to be a token-traded company. In terms of the growth, that's uh, fairly straightforward. You can create a DAO that actually acts as your advanced uh, loyalty program or customer engagement program. So what you do, you create a DAO, you give uh, NFT-based membership to your top customers or prospective customers and other supporters and advisors. You might sell NFTs as passes to your future next releases. A lot of people will do like a NFT-gated test flight or NFT-gated kind of better program for a new product. You then give them some governance rights. So you say, hey, you can collectively decide some parts of our product, maybe some design choices and namings and uh, things like that. And then you might direct a percentage of revenue to the community-directed treasury. Another good idea, if you are a creator economy company like YouTube or TikTok, you can have a DAO-shaped creator fund. So you can say, hey, community, we have the money. We want to give money to our best creators who produce like good good videos on our platform or something. And let's community decide which creators we want to direct most money to so that we sponsor not just the most clickbaity content, but the most valuable, most, you know, uplifting content on the platform. Uh, so we, we, we don't want to like TikTok doesn't want to be an editor of TikTok network or YouTube or whatnot. So you can delegate certain editorial control and creator fund distribution control to your community led governance. So creating this creator fund is a great DAO play. Now, is that okay if those funds are still coming from like a centralized source? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, they go to the TikTok bank and then the TikTok bank says, all right, we're taking 5% monthly and we're going to deposit into this DAO and then the community can vote with that. Like, is that 
It's absolutely again. You are not trying to impress anyone. No one sets the rules. Like you, like every DAO shape project decides for themselves, and everyone decides for themselves whether they would call themselves a DAO or not. There is no oversight board. There is no one you need to get approvals from. Another thing is that there are two types of like even if we're talking community governed kind of treasury or kind of community led spending. There are two submodels. One is called on chain execution and off chain. So on-chain execution is that you have members through NFTs or token, you have the community wallet, and in a smart contract that is written exactly to the to the last detail, the voting system, including not just how people vote, but also the quorum rights, like how many people need to vote to make a valid vote and things like that. And then people vote by signing with their cryptographic uh, kind of signatures and saying, hey, I own this NFT, this NFT is part of this thing, I vote on this proposal, and proposal is to send money from our community wallet A to like recipient wallet B. And they send that to the smart contract, and the smart contract validates the signature, the current ownership status, and that they, they sign the vote for exactly the same proposal, blah, blah, blah. And then if the, the smart contract receives enough votes, like according to the vote system, it automatically disperses money from wallet A to wallet B. So that's called on-chain governance. The off-chain governance is that people vote, you collect the votes, they're all signed and whatnot, and you see the vote passes, and then you call Johnny and say, hey, Johnny, we've heard like the community vote for this. Can you please send the money from A to B to the grant recipient? So that's kind of human in the loop off-chain execution. And a lot of DAOs these days, they start with off-chain execution. It's a little easier. It's like extra security step. There is a chance that, you know, off-chain executioner of the will of the community will, you know, say, oh, that was like a technicality. I will not proceed. But but on the other side, maybe there was this system was hacked and someone, you know, and then you'll see like we don't know this wallet, we don't know why why the community voted for this. We would like clarifications. Yeah, totally makes sense. And you know, when you said everybody decides for themselves, like you're you don't have to impress anyone. I think what I see a lot of times as I'm on crypto Twitter and following a lot of maybe it's influencers in the space or entrepreneurs, builders, artists, and collectors, I feel like a lot of people lean towards decentralize everything, like 100% decentralization. And if it's not that, then we don't want it. And what I hear from you is you're saying, you know, we need to think more broadly about how and when to implement decentralization, because 100% of the playbook doesn't need to be incorporated in every use case. Yes. Yeah. I think there are two sides of this uh, debate. There are like purists or maximalists or radicals or like all or nothing people. And there are uh, pragmatic, modern, like halfway there kind of do what you like uh, people. I'm on the second camp. The first camp was the original camp. So they have more followers and more weight and they've been on podcasts more often than us guys from the second camp. So very grateful to be here as a representative of the second camp. What I see, like I talk to 100 plus DAOs every week. Most of them are second camp. So most of them, another big difference is that most of them start NFT first. They, they do NFT drop and NFT release before they have token. Most of the original kind of camp one, they were token-based projects. And so that's another big difference. Right now, nearly every new DAO project is a flexible DAO. No, no one is going all in on decentralization. I don't know, maybe one in 100. Yeah, no, totally makes sense. Appreciate that breakdown. So to talk more about DAOs and how people can contribute to them, could you run through some different roles that people can play in a DAO? And, you know, you just mentioned a lot of them start from dropping NFTs. So you have holders and community members, but what else can you do besides, you know, monitor Discord and buy an NFT to contribute to a DAO? And maybe it could be nice to have an example of, um, you know, one that you see out in, in the wild today that people could get involved in, in a, maybe a, an easy way that could get their feet wet. There are a few ways you can become a contributor to a DAO. First is being a customer of whatever future utility the DAO brings to the world. So if the DAO is building a decentralized hotel chain or working space empire or a community run soccer club or you know something like that you can say hey i want to see that club i want to work in this working space i want to go to this resort network or whatever so you buy nft as a kind of 
sign of belief that the, this thing will work. And then you like provide lightweight governance. So you help them shape the roadmap. That's probably and bring more friends and like build, helping them with network effects. So helping them build enough of early adopter kind of waitlist NFT holders so that the creators will follow on their promises and actually deliver the product that they hope to deliver. That's kind of one thing. And it's like being a great early adopter. The second one is you can be a worker, so you can actually work for the DAO. There are core team roles that are not that dissimilar from centralized, where you're like full-time and the like traditional role. And then there is kind of part-time-ish kind of, I would, I would call those part-time-ish role things like contributor loop. So there is a repeatable action that you can do for the DAO that creates value in a consistent kind of standardized way. So if it's a recruiting DAO, you refer great candidates. If it is in a kind of creator economy DAO, you create content or you score or like validate, like do editorial control or curate someone else's content. If it is a collector DAO, you scout great new art. If it's an investment DAO, you scout new investment opportunities, you do due diligence, you write deal memos. If it is, uh, I don't know, like educational DAO, you produce courses or you create like explainer articles, record tutorials, conduct one-one mentorship sessions, and so on. So there is like a repeatable standardized like core action that members of that DAO expected to do. And then you do that and you get more tokens or NFTs or, or status-based, like role-based progression and so on. Makes sense. And so whether you're a creator or a worker and a contributor. What about just a, you know, someone who's more passive in a DAO? Is there a role for that, you know, passive holder? And and I'm thinking about with governance, you know, oftentimes a couple of the early DAOs I was in in 2021, I was in a DAO after I joined it, I bought an NFT and we had problems voting on things because not enough people would show up to vote. And, you know, now we have some more advanced mechanisms to maybe delegate votes or have percentage quorums, right? But should someone who doesn't want to be so active be discouraged from joining a DAO? Well, you described one of the solutions, which is you join and then you delegate your voting power to a delegate who like votes on your behalf and maybe you consider your delegate once a year. That way you have the control, but you don't need to exercise it daily. Yeah, I think in the future people will, you know, play a role in the 100 plus DAOs per person. And, uh, and most of them, they will be not active on a daily basis, maybe on weekly or monthly. And then a few, they would participate more hands-on, very much like chat groups or discords or, I don't know, YouTube channels. You don't comment on every YouTube channel that you, you know, enjoy, but maybe you have a few that you're like bookmarked or like showing up on your left column or whatnot. So there would be a natural kind of pyramid of, of engagement for people. Yeah, in terms of like the passive participation, there are some barriers still from a legal standpoint in a way that if you put money in and you expect eventually get more money out than money in and you're passive, then you're an investor. And that thing is a security. And right now in the United States, it is illegal to publicly sell un unregistered securities. And therefore, DAOs either exclude the United States or they exclude that type of scenario. So they either sell these private upside-oriented positions to privately to accredited investors uh, through token warrants and things like that, or yeah, they exclude the United States. So, or they do a more broad membership through NFTs, where you might have governance rights, but the primary compensation is utility and not the financial return. So, essentially, you, they sell it to you if they you become like more a customer of their future, you know, experiences and products, but not financial upside. Yeah, it sounds like from the way you talk about DAOs is you do really see them as businesses and people who participate are participating because they're trying to make a return on, you know, some kind of investment. Are people joining DAOs as basically an alternative to like venture capital funding in early stage startups and and now we can invest in this new era of companies or protocols and networks as like an early investor or are people joining DAOs for like other reasons besides financial? All right, let's break it down. So the original thesis of DAOs was that they blend three roles in one. They blend the role of worker or contributor, the role of customer or consumer of utility, and the role of investor of the person who will, or owner who will receive the upside in one. So you are the owner, you are the customer, you are the worker. In reality, 
we're going back to kind of split. So like there are people who would join primarily to work for the DAO. There are people who join primarily to receive the upside as an owner. And there are people who join primarily as a future consumer of the future utility. So I would say the current playbook and the current security law and the current kind of best practices that what we see on the market is for customer-oriented participants, you sell them NFT with governance rights and utility rights. You tell them, you help us guide the roadmap. You will be the first to receive the product. You get discount or free version of the product. And you get the social benefits in the being in a club with other early adopters like yourself. So it's like selling the tickets to the opening night on non-existing sports team. You buy the NFT, you're part of the fan club now, and you'll be there on the opening night. So we'll give you utility of your future kind of sports entertainment and maybe viewing rights, whatnot. But essentially, we give you like the, the future utility, the social benefits, the governance benefits. It's a utility sale to future customers. If you want to primarily work for the DAO, then you can join maybe for free. You pay a very like symbolic, easy like to get NFT, and then we'll pay you in crypto or we pay you in stable coins, or we pay you in our own tokens, or we pay you in giveaways, or we pay you in status by promoting you to advanced levels so that you're kind of building up your resume before getting paid. Things like that. And then if you're an investor, then you need either buy our kind of future locked private tokens primarily as accredited investors through some private channels, not really, and maybe initially as a traditional equity with token warrant attached. And then, or wait for a long period of time until we eventually get listed on Uniswap on token exchanges like Coinbase and uh, FTX, Binance, Huobi, and so on. Because maybe by that time we decentralized enough and like remove enough of security and for law enforcement or like move outside of United States or something, something. And so you can become like retail is only can, you know, become a late stage investor. So essentially there is still no legal way to be an early stage pre-product kind of non-accredited, anonymous retail investor in DAO-style projects in the United States. There is like this speculating NFT you buy where like I'm buying a ticket on a concert hoping it will go to X in price. But again, its ticket is primarily like utility. It's like you can play on an NFT, but the NFTs are, the upside wouldn't be 10X probably. Yeah. I, as you were talking, it almost made me think of play-to-earn games that we're seeing in NFTs right now and how some people don't want to play the game but they want the upside in the game being used. So they're going to buy the NFT, which is the in-game character, but they're not actually going to use it. And then they have to wait for and you know x amount of time until they can stake it and have other people use it yeah so it's like uh you can buy the the tickets to the next u.s open in tennis hopefully it will go up in price uh, like or olympics tickets or something like that like scalping right so this practice exists and eventually regulation steps in or platform steps in and kind of limit the possibility like one ticket per person like only like limited transfers huge commission on secondary transfers blah 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 so there are some tools that you know limit that behavior i wasn't even really worried about that kind of behavior i was more thinking just i'm excited to see more advances in DAOs so that people can choose how they want to participate versus just having to buy the nft because right now when i see a lot of DAOs launch you have to buy the nft to start participating but having those sub nfts where you could be like a contributor nft versus an investor yeah, yeah. NFT. so we we see way more free airdrops these days so if you want to be an nft based participant and you're really gonna contribute with effort and time there is more free airdrops they typically pre-screened so you apply for a contributor grade nft with like a little form saying how much work you can do for the DAO, what your qualifications are. And if the core team considers your application worthy, they will, you know, airdrop you a free NFT. Yeah, makes sense. And as you were talking, I had another thought around how are DAOs really different than something like Kickstarter? You know, you mentioned there aren't a lot of opportunities to get in pre-product and Kickstarter is just a popular platform that I think people know about right now. So I'm trying to draw that linkage and then explain why, you know, they are different as well. Well, it's a lot of similarity uh, for the customer oriented NFT buyers. The difference is one governance. So the NFT sale allow you to create governance, including potentially community directed wallet and funds. 
The second is resellability, so transferability. So if you bought something on Kickstarter, it's very hard to transfer. Maybe it, it, by the time the product launches, it has more value, more certainty, but you, for some reason, have not lost interest, so it's much easier to resell. Number three is by doing NFT sale, you don't exclude the chance in parallel to sell the future tokens or token warrants to the investors. So you can be a token-based company while very much like Kickstarter doesn't exclude you from raising private venture capital in parallel. So in token world, you can sell NFTs to future customers while selling future tokens to kind of professional investors. Another expectation is NFT buyers in crypto world are more expected to do promotion for you. So you're really not really expecting Kickstarter buyers to do a lot of like social media support for your project. And there is also no, not many social benefits. So it's very rare for NFT buyers to have a chat group together and meet each other, meet other buyers of the same Kickstarter project, while in crypto it is more common. Another big distinction is Kickstarter, I think, to this day, only allows US-based companies. A crypto-style NFT-based raise you can raise as, you know, as a DAO, as a company not, not linked to any specific geography. Totally. Not having it linked to specific geographies, I think, is something we take for granted in the US. You know, people in the US just have this expectation that you can you can launch a business you want, you can buy a product you want. And when you zoom out and realize that in a lot of places around the world, that's not true, you start realizing why some of this kind of technology and structure in the crypto world is important. I wish that we had better perspective here in the US on that. You know, I was in a Twitter space the other day and was listening to an artist speak about how in her country, she couldn't actually release music because she was a woman. But with music NFTs, it allowed her to finally like release music, monetize off of it, reach an audience. And she was finding, you know, a lot of empowerment through that. To build off what you were talking about, you know, the the network effects and people on Kickstarter maybe not being incentivized so much to share what they're buying and what they're investing in. And a lot of that is because their their upside is capped because we don't have the means to buy and sell, you know, Kickstarter stakes. With DAOs, we're basically able to turn almost any asset into something that we can transfer and send and put a financial value on. I mean, we can send fractions of a house, fractions of a golf course, fractions of a business, and all of a sudden we have all these non-traditional investment assets. Do you think that non-traditional assets are seeing a, a rise just because of crypto, or is there a desire from you know consumers like us to be able to to buy sell and trade these physical assets in a digital world yeah the desire is very strong so people want to collectively own things and buy things and govern things and potentially have the upside of of them together i think the dao playbook on like shared ownership is evolving that's a separate part of security law and traditional regulation more towards the REITs, you know, real estate uh, investment trusts. Again, how you can form them, who can buy them, are you required to register them, what will happen if you're like theoretically outside of the United States while doing that, and how things are going to be enforced. We don't know yet. So for 10 people who knew each other before, like buying an apartment together, owning, managing, renting it out, receiving it, that's fine. If it's like 10,000 people buying Empire Style building together and they are non-accredited investors and they collect the money upfront before doing the transaction so you don't yet have the Empire State building on the balance, that's a scheme that can be easily abused. And so I, th- I would expect the regulation to be fairly active eventually. For So there is an evolving term around this, something like single purpose acquisition DAOs or something like that. The playbook here is evolving. But again, the safe thing is to only make it available to private accredited investors, know your customer gate first, and then you do that. So for retail people to participate in this kind of property operations. Also, typically, I would expect that to be a two-tier system. So the top level would be NFT-based membership and maybe a KYC check as well. And so you become the kind of member of investment club. And then as a member of investment club, you can fund individual property deals or individual investment or individual, I would call investment contracts. 
uh, so that that's no longer publicly available so it's now privately and for credit investors only but there are still limits like 500 limit on on private private deals so what if it's like okay we're all accredited it's not publicly distributed but still more than 500 people participating in the deal i've heard opinion that we should be more aggressive again like and explore areas previously like outlined as no-go zones by regulation just see what what can be negotiated there others advocate for more cautious approach and trying to negotiate with security authorities up front or like uh, innovate outside of united states first and then bring those innovations back in the united states we'll see where it goes that was gonna be my next question to you is like around around these laws how fast do you think we should be moving around the DAOs? Because it's so obvious that we're advancing from a tech perspective so much faster than a regulation perspective. And that if you do wait, you know, you said some people are cautioning on going a little bit more slow. I think it's you said you want to advocate advancing into that gray space faster and, and seeing how things shake out. I'm not taking any public position here, so I'm not saying faster, slower. I don't want to say, hey, Yuri told me to break all the laws. Publicly, I'm I'm not taking any position on how you should explore the, the regulation space, but I can share what we've seen people doing or where we see more innovation happens and whatnot. So I'm, I'm more like an observer here and trying to decide for our own projects, but we are not, you know, giving legal advice to, to anyone. Are you seeing these DAOs pushing forward usually, or are they operating from a more cautious lens? There is a cautious playbook that we recommend to most people, and we think it is uh, on a good side of things. And this is like most, maybe, unless you have very good reason and, and logic to do otherwise. And what we add, what we say is a, like a relatively safe or like the most safe option on the table is you sell utility NFTs and you sell promises of future tokens to private accredited investors under 500 number or outside of United States. So if you only give like private, currently locked against trading tokens, not yet on exchanges to private accredited investors, maybe alongside with traditional equity in form of warrants, as well as selling NFTs publicly and not necessarily limiting geography or KYC or whatnot, that has explicitly and only utility value. Then you're in the clear. Because you're selling utility and like you're building your community, like future customer community uh, through NFT sales, you give them, you know, exciting opportunity in meeting each other and influencing the roadmap and maybe running a community grant program and things like that. But you don't promise them financial upside through the effort of others. You say, yeah, maybe the utility value of your NFT grows up and maybe the NFT will be a little bit more valuable, like a ticket to a concert to a group that becomes more popular over time. The primary reason why you buy NFT is still utility. While the, the tokens, you do, do it, you know, very closely to previously uh, accepted kind of equity sales. So that's a safe way. And uh, we, like we at SuperDAO, we, we would gladly enable every DAO go that way. If you want to do something a little more risky, and we would consider the property acquiring DAOs. Again, the, the safe way for the property acquiring DAOs is you sell NFTs that grant the future utility benefits over the property. Like you can visit the property or you can stay in the property or you can host an event in the property. Well, you have a separate traditional entity that is funded by primarily, you know, private capital that actually acquiring the property and, you know, so you use NFT revenue maybe for operating expenses and maybe as a down payment on the property, but you're not passing the property rights back to the NFT holders. The NFT holders only own the future usage rights and governance rights and social rights. So that way, again, so you acquire property the old way, but you provide the utility the new way. So could we talk about an NFT community that is in the process of creating a DAO now? And I'd just like to get maybe a take on how you would advise them. So, and the one I want to talk about is the Board API Club because they have announced their roadmap too many months ago. And part of that is creating a DAO and there's a lot of unknowns around it. You know, they're a very closed, closed lips leadership group and release information slowly. If you were advising the Board API Club in this DAO creation, is there anything really big that you would point out for a successful launch and for, you know, value to be driven to the entire community? a big position uh, i think they are one of the icons of the space they know a lot they know their needs of their community probably way more than me but I i'll try to talk about this 
And I would add in, just in case you're not fully familiar, is one of the things on the roadmap was like a physical location uh, in terms of a bar. And so I personally, you know, I some takes I've seen online are, you know, revenue shares from the bar and from merchandise can be funneled back into, you know, the DAO to be distributed or we'll get some kind of royalties from the play to earn game. What I'm trying to say is what I've seen without a DAOs. It is up to board ape people if they ever listen to the podcast to see what of that is kind of applicable to their situation. I'm, I'm giving them the menu options and they probably invented half of them themselves and the other half, they already discussed why they're applicable or not. The first big question is, do they want a token? So as the successful NFT project, you soon realize maybe we need a token too. I don't advocate for token to appear early. But eventually I figure out, all right, now if people work for the DAO, there is probably numerical value, quantifiable value of the input. Maybe if we're going to acquire the property, maybe the, the royalty rights at some point, not enough to fund it. So maybe we want to raise more capital or maybe we want to have more collections. And so maybe again, it would not be the, the board ape club that would be tokenized, but rather the parent company, I think they have some, you know, Yuga Labs or something that behind it. So you, you might tokenize that, but eventually, so the question is, you will get a token at some level, at some, you know, involved organization. All right. So the second uh, consideration is you probably want that token to be non-tradable for some time. So you only sell it to invest private accredited investors, you give it to some core team members and you start giving it out for the effort. So if people like scout something, you support something, you produce something or ecosystem partners or people who accept those things in as avatars or as a game characters or something or grant benefits in their mm -hmm. own ecosystem for the same holders, then uh, you do that. All right. So let's say you have private token. The next question is, you probably need uh, multiple entities. It's not like a single entity. So you have a DAO, which is a community side of things. So the community, the NFT holders are the community members of that. That thing can have a community wallet. They might have some lightweight operating staff, kind of core team members who primarily do like community operations. And it has community governance over that community wallet and so on. Separately, you probably have the operating entity that is more like, like executive branch. So think of the community side as a, like, you know, the parliament of your place and executive branch more like, you know, ministries and uh, president and whatnot. So the executive branch is more like, hey, we actually do work in a more centralized way. Maybe we acquire properties, like we build a bar or we host events and we organize annual conference or we sign partnerships and or we do biz dev and we write software and we maintain website and things like that. And so, and then there is a basically a master agreement between the DAO and, and the operating center where DAO can be decentralized and operating center can be centralized. Eventually there can be multiple operating partners. And that agreement is, is like a traditional paperwork that is a contract between two entities and it describes the flow of money and it describes the areas of responsibility. So for example, you can say that if there are any remaining apes that were never sold before, uh, then basically what happens with the primary sales, whether they go to operating entity versus community wallet. If there are secondary sales commission, again, what's the split? How, what percentage of the secondary sales goes to a community wallet versus operating partner? Is there any annual fee or monthly fee for the operating partner to continue do the work on behalf of the community? Is there a contract of what is expected for operating partner to, to, to be delivered for the community partner? If the community votes on certain things, does the operating partner take commitments on implementing those, uh, executing those decisions like naming rights and whatnot? Is there a transfer of IP property from like, hey, you can do derivative work of your NFT, you have full commercial rights. And so the kind of IP transfer from like an artist to the operating entity and from operating entity to the NFT holders and so on. There is also, if there is an upgradable smart contract for the NFTs, then again, who can upgrade it, how it can be upgraded. Another one is uh, security and recovery. Let's say someone holding an ape and they can prove with some documentation that they got hacked and the ape got transferred. Is there any kind of overwrite or veto right? So you can, I don't know, irreversibly burn that stolen ape and reissue maybe a replacement ape or something. So essentially, is there any security center? I don't know. Again, this goes a little bit against Coda's law and whatnot, but again, 
some compromises can be made between uh, you know security side and the uh, decentralization side that's a great breakdown you gave i was taking so many notes during that just how it starts from the token then you think about non-transferable tokens the community while the operating entity the master agreement yeah when we say non-transferable it needs to understand is is a token by design both erc721 and uh, erc20 are transferable but they can be locked in a way that they are currently non-transferable like temporarily non-transferable and they be locked for like indefinite amount of time yeah yep makes sense and you know your last point about security and recovery even even recently we're seeing a lot of talk about how how DAOs handle managing people within the DAO if they go against community standards can you ban an nft member or like create a blacklist or something yeah yeah and it sounds like what you're really recommending is you need to have those kinds of details written out in your agreement so you can make decisions you know off of a you know a clear standard understood rules both a traditional agreement between DAO and operating entity as well as uh, sometimes in a smart contract so the smart contract, for example, can maintain a list of the the NFTs that consider to be tainted or like broken or stolen or something. And so if, uh, say, a third party app saying, hey, we let every board ape member to enter our club for free, you can say, hey, please, can you respect our blacklist as well? So if someone comes with a stolen ape, please don't, don't let them win. If you convince the other parties to not only respect your NFTs, but respect your uh, like uh, blacklist. Yep. All right. So I've got some rapid fire questions for you as we get to the end of the podcast. You go with that? Sure. All right. First one is how many DAOs will there be one day? And maybe one day is in five years. Yeah, over a million for sure. I would say five years, maybe over 10 million. Yeah, we're very bullish on this. Wow. That's quite a lot of DAOs. What will the biggest DAO failure be? And do you think that will cripple th this movement? We're in huge favor of DAO failures. We think we need to see as many as possible in a way that we need to make it super normal. It's like startups are failing and no one is upset. It's normal. Like you, like if we will be afraid of failures, that would be very few DAOs will be created. So what we need though is a, a right dissolution process. So if the DAO fails and it has any remaining funds in the community wallet or some other way, like other property owned or like how we distribute it back to the members. So like what's the process to close the DAO? It should be as easy to start the DAO as it is to close the DAO. So I would say, because as soon as the DAO fails, it really like frees the energy of the membership and participants and creators to create a new one. Because otherwise everyone is tied to their first idea. Maybe it's not the best idea. They want to move on. 100%. Okay, next question is, what will the biggest DAO be in a few years? That's a big one. If uh, everyone would know, you would probably want to buy their private token. I would say some of the marketplaces, maybe some of the social networking kind of messaging, anything related to attention. So creator economy, advertising, content, those things seems to be scaled. So basically a counterpart or like, you know, a version of Facebook, Google, Amazon, Apple, but also a version of, you know, IRS or American Army or something. So a version of government structures that we see today, NASA, I don't know, things like that. So National Science Foundation, uh, things like that. So United Nations. Yeah, that would be a good one. So, yeah. Okay. And talking about, you know, big DAOs. Who do you think is going to be the next brand or major company from like the centralized Web2 world that's going to start dabbling in DAOs? And, you know, it could even be a sector of, of business that you think might start getting involved in next. Yeah, I would add one more thing. I think one of the biggest categories for DAOs would be banking. So maybe a, a DAO is a bank uh, would be a big one. In terms of like inter interplay of traditional and, and DAO space, my prediction is every traditional company will have a DAO division or department or DAO type entity or DAO account. In a way, I said there are three advantages to DAOs, fundraising, customer-led growth, and employment. I think for traditional companies, two out of three is very important. The customer-led growth and kind of reinvention of loyalty programs and crypto style employment and fluid employment. So I think every every company will have, and also like, you know, a crypto asset management. So every traditional company will have a wallet, will will hold some Ether or, you know, Matic or something, and they will pay in crypto to some freelancers and they will, you know, do grants in crypto and they will grant NFTs to customers and sell NFTs. I would say 
every traditional company will be crypto active. Since they will be crypto active, they will have a crypto version of their company or crypto side of their company. So every traditional company above, I don't know, 1 million in gross income will, will be a DAO. It will, will have a DAO type operation. Yeah. And that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the, of the podcast. All right. And my last three questions for you is my one, two, web three. Who's a influential web three creator, entrepreneur, or artist who inspires you? Yeah, I will name one of your previous guests, Chao Wang from Alliance, uh, recently renamed from DeFi Alliance. Chao is one of the deepest thinkers in the space, maybe not the loudest, but whenever he talks, I'm listening. Mm, I love that. And a favorite NFT of yours? Uh, I would go back to CryptoKitties. I think they were the pioneer. They kind of inspired the standard. They were very active on mechanics, how those evolve over time and breeding stuff and whatnot. I think a lot of ideas that we reinvent or rediscover now can we go go back to CryptoKitties. Love it. And lastly, in five years, what's the craziest thing that we'll be doing in the metaverse that we're not even thinking about yet right now? It doesn't have to be DAO related. We will pay taxes voluntarily. <laughs> <laughs> so right now, like one of the kind of advantages or options on, on the crypto world is you don't know what kind of taxes you owe to whom and how to pay them, especially if you like, you know, exist outside of the United States and especially if you operate as a business. So maybe we just get to learn how to pay taxes on crypto as individuals, but not as an organizations. And let's say you're an organization and you're like your presence in any individual country is not the biggest one. Do you pay income taxes? Do you pay payroll taxes? And if so, can you set your own rate? Can you decide by yourself whom you pay them to? So basically, like DAO economy becomes a serious tax base. But the question is for whom? Like who is receiving taxes from DAO economy? And whether DAOs will be voluntarily decide what tax rate they want to pay and how? And I see some glimpses of that where DAOs start saying, oh, yeah, we feel too bad not to pay any taxes. Let us decide by ourselves whom and how we're going to pay some taxes. Yeah. I don't even want to sit in the, the room of the government officials who have to start talking about DAOs and taxes. I think that would be... Well, the government officials would be very excited about this. They're like, let's tax all of them. The question is how it will play out. Yeah. I think KYC is going to be a, a bigger factor in terms of associating that with your identity. And then that could start clearing some things up as, as that takes place. All right, Yuri, I want to give you a chance to, you know, talk about SuperDAO, any, anything you want to plug here, what you're building, where it's going, how people can get involved and, you know, where they can follow you. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty active on Twitter, Eurolifshits in one world. SuperDAO is SuperDAO underscore CO, SuperDAO underscore CO. Uh, yeah, DM us anytime for any like DAO ideas, DAO help. We are actively advising, we're hosting workshops. Generally, what SuperDAO does is help uh, new DAO projects and existing traditional companies and existing DAOs to set up a smart contract for their NFT collection for membership kind of benefits and governance and wallets and whatnot. We help evolve it over time, extend in a modular fashion. And we provide also uh, an interface, a member space for your DAO members where they can have member directory, newsfeed, uh, treasury dashboard, and the compensation system for contributors. So if you want to start a DAO, you have a DAO idea, it's a good idea to apply for private beta on superdao.co. You'll get invited to our workshops and then we'll help you write your smart contract and launch very soon. Brilliant. Well, I, I really appreciate all the insight you brought today. I mean, so much knowledge around DAOs. I was taking notes the whole time. I'm going to listen to this back and try to digest more of what you were going on. I mean, the the playbooks you you laid out for how centralized companies can integrate, you know, DAO principles and, and tactics into what they do, how you talk about everything from the legal to the taxes. It was really, really interesting. And I appreciate your time. I was excited to be on the show. For sure. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Unstoppable Podcast. My name's Josh, and I just want to say thanks so much. Please check out our Discord. Leave a review on Spotify or Apple Music if you learned something today. And I'll see you online. We'll see you next week. Peace out. Bye, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share this with your friends. And remember, this conversation doesn't have to end here. Tweet us your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. I look forward to hearing from you and thank you so much for listening.